You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. First Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathering at Succoth, which belongs to Judah, and camped between Succoth and Askah in Ephsdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up the line of battle against the Philistines. Verse 3. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of God, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are your servants not Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, and Shema. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Church, that's a long time. Verse 17, and Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain, these 10 loaves, carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers, and also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousands. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left his sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things of the charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And he talked with them. Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words before. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who comes up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? 
For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You want to underline that as far as a motivation. And the people answered him in the same way, so it shall be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab the eldest heard David, heard him spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, why have you come down? Older brothers, right? <laughs> and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil in your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Oh, you can hear that in the family, right? <laughs> Was it not but a word? But he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again. So the words that David spoke were heard. They repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. If you don't know anything yet, he's the youngest, and he's a little dude. He is not a large man. Saul was physically a large man and should have gone out, but he did not. Verse 33. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. And when there came a lion, a bear, and took lamb for the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, and I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Yes. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. That's right. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Which is not a statement of faith, by the way. <laughs> then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a, a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, but he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these. I have not tested them. So David put them off. And he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. A giant over nine feet tall would make Shaq look like a little dude. A trained professional soldier and a 16-year-old five-foot-five young man and a big God Amen. who likes to do miracles. Yeah. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer. I'm in verse 41. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Verse 45, then David, then David, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, and I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And this day, not tomorrow and not someday, this day, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. 
we, we maybe don't tell that in children's ministry. We might leave that part of it out. You know, the little felt grouse from before with the head coming off. We don't, we don't usually do that. Age appropriate. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of Philistines to this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. And when the Philistine arose and came to draw near to David and meet David, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistines. Emphasis as he ran quickly to that battle. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank in his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed them. There was no sword in the hand of David. Do you see that? There was not a sword in his hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took the sword out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines. We'll stop there. You guys have done great. Father, we come to you now. We, we started this time by talking about our need to pray for youth. And God, we declare now, Jesus, in your mighty name, the God who is mighty to save, that the children of the San Inez Valley and our church and any church, every single child of every single age, from the newborns have just been born to those who are much older. They belong to you now. Yes. And we, we are exhausted, Lord Jesus, with the enemy ruling and prevailing over our town, our nation, our state, our community. We declare that you are the living God. And so we declare, Lord God, salvation and victory and deliverance, Lord Jesus, that little children can be little children, that their innocence can be protected. We declare that this day. So now, God, equip your church, mobilize your church, teach us to pray, teach us about this boldness, God. Come to us, Lord Jesus, that we would understand all things, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's unreasonable. Thank God. Write that down. Put that in your digital device. Pray it. Enjoy it. Worship it. God is unreasonable. Thank God. So in these few moments together, I'm going to outline, based on the story of David and Goliath, if you will, emotions that the enemy wreaks havoc over that we actually need to take out God's smooth stones and throw them against and defeat many Goliaths that come against us. These are things which destroy our relationship with God. These are things which get the better of people constantly. There's been a huge culture shift. And so one of our culture shifts that is multi-generational, but definitely true of those under 40, is that, is that our culture, in not a good way, used to be about shame and guilt. And so that's not necessarily the best thing, but most people walking around felt some degree of guilt so that when you went to tell them about forgiveness of sin or this God who has paid the price for it, they said, thank God somebody is willing to help me with my guilt. No, it's not that anymore. Now it's all about identity. And that comes and works its way down into schools 
and all kinds of things related to sexuality. It's all about our identity. So that if you were to tell me my identity is wrong, how dare you? And then now these are nasty fighting words. We have a whole multi-layered generation being raised on identity issues which are not godly and not Christ-like. And that's how we get to something called a cancel culture. And all of this dominates social ethics, schools and churches. One thing about guilt and shame, though the way our culture participated in in was not good, but there are bad things out there. There are bad things that people do out there. And so, and so you should feel guilty about doing terrible things. You do something terrible, there should be a conscience inside you that says, I have done this wrong. I have ruined my family, my relationships. Maybe I've just ruined my own body before God. And so I need to make that right. That's called repentance. And there's a sense of conscience that can come with that. And the Bible will teach a right way to understand that to be liberated from that. In fact, I'm going to start there. And so I'm going to talk about some emotions here that culture gets wrong, that people get wrong, that that are really, really important and are part of this story here in the Scripture. So the first emotion, emotion that God is unreasonable about is forgiveness. So let's talk about forgiveness. Y'all can say amen to that anytime you want because it's a good story, right? And so forgiveness is what you want. If I were to say, who does not want forgiveness? No one's raising their hand, right? And if I say, who wants forgiveness? We're all raising our hand. We all want forgiveness, yes? Yes, Yes, we do. Okay, let's go there. Is it easy? It's not easy to grant forgiveness, the more serious the circumstance. It's not easy sometimes to receive forgiveness, the more serious the circumstance. So forgiveness is not easy. God is unreasonable in his desire through the blood of Christ to grant total forgiveness to his children and to those who want to take his offer of forgiveness And that offer of forgiveness is life-altering, completely transformational. It is not ritualistic where you would come, let's say, at the end of our church service, and we do it all the time for prayer and for for, for salvation, and you're checking boxes. No, it's that is your new identity. I walk on planet Earth as a man ordained of God because God has granted me forgiveness of my sins. That's your new identity. And so you're liberated from shame and guilt. You're liberated from these things while still maintaining a godly conscience. Now listen, related to David's life, what's so fascinating is that this is David as a young man. And you can outline David as a young man by a simple phrase, he sought the Lord. And so there's this phrase, he sought the Lord, he sought the Lord, he sought the Lord. And so when he's seeking God, what's happening with King David? Really good things, really good things. There's a problem, he seeks the Lord, Bam, that problem is solved. There's a problem. He seeks the Lord. There's a solution for it. I mean, time and time and time again. And then there came a day where he didn't do that anymore. He was now King David, King of Jerusalem. He made it. He made it. All the enemies were subdued around him. And so he's going to now go and break all Ten Commandments at once. It's an easy summary. I mean, in one move, 
He's going to go look at Bathsheba, and he knows Bathsheba. His secretary of state is a guy in the story named Ahithophel. Now, we don't name our boys Ahithophel. I understand that, right? That's quite a mouthful. But Ahithophel is David's secretary of state. That is Bathsheba's dad. You got it now? Bathsheba is close family friend, absolute undying loyalty to David. Call it about a 20, 25-year age gap. And David's going to look upon her lustfully, take him to himself, kill and murder her husband, complete abuse of leadership. He's going to take his army to a battle and pull back. All of this is just so wrong. And then he's going to stay quiet about it. When you get to the New Testament, it's really fascinating. It's in Matthew's genealogy. Have you read this? So if you've been with me on Tuesday nights, you know this. David's wife is mentioned. Or is she? David has a wife named Bathsheba, yes? Right? He marries her. He, they ultimately stay together, yes? We know our scriptures. We can kind of come right. Okay, so, so in Matthew's gospel, the genealogy, which says all of these names, which lead to Jesus to show that Jesus is the Messiah, it says of King David that it was Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So that all of us would know that men or women in power before God never act that way. That is not ordained of God. God will sovereignly work out every indiscretion and every problem. But God will say, that is not how my children act. That is not how I do things at all. David here in his youth, he gets it. Hey, he's going to go against Goliath, a soldier, and he has not a sword. Now, he does have something which is called a sling, and it comes in a pouch, and it's like throwing a baseball at someone's head about 90 miles an hour, and it will knock you out. And you notice that it'll knock you out, because that's why David had to get the sword out and cut the guy's head off, because he was going to ultimately revive from that. David in Psalm 32 would say this about his sin. Psalm 32. He says, Blessed is the man who in whom transgression is forgiven. You come to Christ... You come to Christ and you place your, 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 your life at the cross of Christ. You allow the blood of Jesus Christ to be that payment for your sin. Whether you understand all the nuances of that or not, you can be forgiven of your sin. Amen. He says in Psalm 32, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. How are you doing keeping silent about sin? It has that effect, right? All of us. It has it for me. It has it for me when I, when, I, when, I, when I trip and stub my toe and the Lord says, Pastor, you, you need to come before me with that. Oh, hold on to that and quiet it in secret and it would just eat you up. Come before it with the grace of God and you will be liberated. Psalm 32 also says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. For the moment, last thing about forgiveness. Here's why it's hard. Here's why it's hard to give. Here's why it's hard to receive. It's costly. If you're actually going to forgive someone who really hurt you, really, really broke your heart, ever had your heart broken, broken, broken? I have. And you're going to forgive someone 
That means you're not going to ever hold it against him again. You know where I'm going with this, right? Because what do we want to do? We want to hold it against him again, right? We want to go a couple years. We want to go a couple years. A couple years ago, yeah, but you know what? You did me wrong there. Well, I thought we were good. I'm going to hold that against you. Right? That's our humanity. Somebody has to pay the price. If somebody's forgiving you of financial debt, then there's really a price there that's very tangible. And so, so forgiveness is difficult because there's a blood sacrifice and Christ is the one who paid the sacrifice for your sins that you could not pay for yourself. All right, second emotion. Second emotion. See it in the story. God's no and yes is unreasonable. Not yes and no, God's no and yes. God's no and yes is very unreasonable. So biblically, you say no first. That is generally righteousness. You say no to idols, so you can say yes to God. It's philosophically true. You have to say no to one thing to say yes to another. We tend to think that we're saying yes to something and say no to another. It's actually in reverse. Say no to something. Then you can say yes to something. And so David had this right because he's looking at Goliath, and he's looking around and saying, why is this guy even talking? Why is he allowed to speak against us? Why is he allowed to speak against God? Why is he? I, 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 I'm not going to have this. He has to say no to the embarrassment of being a boy, embarrassment of not being a soldier. And he has to say no to being offended by his brothers. That older brother in there is just the best. I know you, David. Where are the father's sheep? You know, the funny thing about that is David was the one who was faithful and most faithful in that environment with the sheep. So it's the older brother just going to stick in him a little bit. David was opposed by family and culture. So getting this right requires some understanding of history. And so let's go there with this story as it's related. Okay, so David knows a few things. So David knows God. So if you know God and you know God, then you have to know that that's a God of miracles. That's a God of breakthroughs. That's a God who plays for keep. You have to understand that. He's exclusive that way. So David knew this. In terms of the Hebrew history, he knew, and I'll say it to you this way, that the angel of the Lord was Jesus. And so the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is a type of Christ. So when we see the pillar of fire by day and cloud by night, we see other manifestations of what's called the angel of the Lord. David had correctly been taught in the Bible that that was the Lord. In other words, he knew the angel of the Lord. When you read your Old Testament, when you see this, the angel of the Lord shows up. And what happens, church? Whatever needs to happen gets taken care of. Angel of the Lord shows up. I mean, it's really, it's like a prayer meeting, prayer meeting. Oh, come, Lord, come, Lord. Man, Lord showed up. It was all over. We can go home now. That's what the angel of the Lord would do. Whatever the circumstance was, the angel of the Lord showed up. And so David knew, is the angel of the Lord going to show up? But I have to step out in faith. He also knew this word from Hebrew called panim. Panim is actually a really, really deep word. I have spent years studying this single, this single word in Hebrew because I love it. So panim is the word for the presence of God as it's hovering upon the waters of creation, Genesis 1. You find it throughout the entire Old Testament when God's going to do great things related to God's presence. And so is the angel of the Lord going to show up? It's going to be great. Maybe panim is going to, maybe this divine presence is going to come and then we're going to take care of things. 
And so Panim is incredible. Or, of course, he would have for sure known that Joshua once met the commander of the Lord's armies, and then things got really taken care of then. In other words, David knew his Bible. He knew his God. And he knew this was not right before God and he should not tolerate it, even if his family was, even if his older brothers were, even if he didn't have military equipment. He knew this was not right before God. That man must be quiet. His head should be lifted off. He should be done away with and freedom should come. Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come at me, with the sword and with the spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will no longer tolerate you. So church, can you search your heart? What are you tolerating that you no longer need to tolerate? Like in all seriousness, what are you tolerating that you need to say no to? There will always be the messages in your head against that. But God is unreasonable in wanting you to learn to say no to those things and various kinds of idols and fear and insecurity. Most of the things are fear. Most of the things aren't real and haven't happened yet, but you ponder it so you're so fearful of it. God is unreasonable. And his no's and yeses for you. I'm going to keep moving. Third emotion, God is unreasonable with honor and respect. God is unreasonable with honor and respect. So this is a really fascinating day we live in because people will say, I love, I love you. They'll say that to one another. You can say it to me. You can say you love Pastor Rick. It's okay. I love my church. I love my church, right? So we say I love you to one another all the time. We say I love you to one another one time. So if you love someone, you have honor and respect for them. Yes? Yes. You love someone. You're going to honor them. You're going to respect them. You're going to communicate that in a spiritual way, emotional way, physical way, whatever the case is terms of time, but if you love someone, you're going to have honor and respect for them. We do not, in the North American continent at all, live in an honor culture. We live in a dishonor culture. Really true. Doesn't matter what position you hold. Doesn't matter how much integrity you have. Doesn't matter whatever the case is. We actually have to know, as if I'm preaching to choir here, people around you outside of church and everything, they are about dishonor because we are in a huge dishonor culture. Samuel anoints David as part of the backstory. Samuel will anoint David. What you have to understand is that Samuel is honoring God. This is the prophet Samuel anointed David. You have to understand he's going to honor God, but things didn't work out for Samuel. So I thought, I went and gone, I did Saul first. You said Saul was the king. Saul was the guy. You know what? It didn't work out. So if you're thinking you're going to walk with God, you're going to walk with Christ, and everything's going to work out the first time the way you want, you need to get over that. It didn't happen for the great saints of old. That's why they had faith. And he stood up as a great prophet and said, the great king of Israel is Saul. Doesn't he look good? He's a big dude. Good looking man. Is he out fighting this battle, church? No. So then, fast forward, Saul sins, Saul's out. 
Now I'm going to go anoint another. Samuel actually wrestles with them. God tells him to get going. He honors God and gets going. And he goes to a place where he finds David. David's the least of them. He's out. He's actually out mending the tent, tending the sheep. He's going to honor God. He's going to honor God with that. He's going to anoint David, and great things are going to happen. God is unreasonable with honor and respect. Worship is part of honor and respect to God. Preaching and teaching is part of honor and respect to God. Praying, praying, and praying is part of honor and respect to God. How we treat one another, talk to one another, love one another, hang in there with tough times with one another is part of honor and respect before God. Okay, fourth emotion, fourth emotion. We talked about forgiveness, unreasonable related to no one, yes, honor, respect. Fourth emotion that I see in the story here that we're talking about is God's divine acceptance. So I want to make a distinction here to help us understand the difference between forgiveness and acceptance because this is actually really, really important to understand. A divine acceptance through Jesus Christ is where your identity comes from. This is the place of dynamic transformation. So we give forgiveness to one another, okay? I want you to get this. We give forgiveness. Well, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. And we're supposed to give Total, total forgiveness to one another. And what trips us up is, okay, where does trust come in and things like that? Here, here's part of it. Talk about acceptance. So acceptance, acceptance is what we all want. I mean, trust me that you, if deep inside, you may come to Christ for a different reason. You might be praying for different reasons. But what you and I want deep in our hearts and our souls is a true, true acceptance. That is actually not the same as forgiveness. So here's what's so fascinating about divine acceptance and acceptance is that here's what we know, relatively new, last 10 years of studying human biology, lots of research, lots of, they call them, uh, uh, you know, peer work and peer papers uh, that, have, uh, that, have, that, have, that have done this. There's no, there's no money behind it per se other than the truth. The smallest molecule in your body knows that when you're experiencing acceptance, and it heals your body. The smallest molecule in your body knows when you're in an environment of experiencing acceptance and it begins to alter your actual body chemistry to allow strength to come in and happiness to come in and healing to come in. Your body knows it. So we have to be honest with one another. Can you actually give complete and total forgiveness at another person, acceptance to another person? Stay on acceptance. You know what? You can't. Why? You can give forgiveness, but acceptance is really difficult. Why? Because somebody could act in a rather immoral way. They could actually act in an abusive way. They could act in a sinful way. They can actually rebel against you. They could actually hurt you, harm you, harm somebody else, and you are not to accept that. You can forgive them for it, but acceptance is actually what comes from God. And we can give certain kinds of acceptance, you know, so we can accept someone to a certain point. We can do the best we can to accept one another. It's what we yearn for. We so yearn to be with somebody else who can completely and totally accept us. But if we're honest with one another, all you have to do is say, well, can I do one, two, three, and four, five against you? And can I still have total acceptance? What's the answer? No. And that would be right. There's something called righteousness. There's something called truth. Acceptance comes from God. Acceptance comes from Jesus Christ. That's what your heart is longing for. And often in our human relationships, we put that on other people in a way that they cannot match, and it belongs with God. 
Here is total acceptance from God. He says to Peter, you are a rock. He says to clueless people at the time when Christ is walking around, he says, you will, I will make you fishers of men. He says to his entire group that's in an upper room, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He says in the Gospels, I now call you friend, though you were once rebels. I now call you family, though you were far from me. I now call you children, though you don't know this. I now call you church, my beloved. Can you say that word, beloved? That is exactly what he calls you. And so we want this divine acceptance. We want it badly. Fifth, here we go. Fifth emotion is release. And it's really that surrender to God. It's that absolute surrender to God. And this is actually what David got down so well, is that he actually released himself to God. God, whatever you want to do with my life, do it. Let it be done. Whatever your plan is, and let it be there. I will follow you is actually release. And there's some people that when they're coming to Christ are going to take the next step in their life. We'll sit there and we'll pray together. We'll talk, we'll talk. And they're going to say, wait for it. Pastor, what's going to happen? You know, if I give my life to Christ, what's really going to happen to me? And I go, oh, I have the most incredible divine answer. I have the most biblically anointed answer. You're going to actually really love it because it's completely true. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you. You know what's going to happen to you? I don't know. <laughs> God does. And it's your glory before him. And so what you need to know is that his acceptance will come upon you. And he will set your heart free in so many, so many different ways. He will do inside of you everything that needs to be done in order that you would completely and totally know his love. In my handbook, which is, I'm still wrestling with the printer, so I'll read part of this to you. And we're, we're going we're to pray. When I talk about Jesus, I say, Jesus is the beautiful Savior. He's most mighty, strong enough to save, and loves you no matter what. He is the radiance of the glory of God. If anyone was in Christ, he's a new creation. John 3, 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be surprised. You have said you must be born again. He is that image of the invisible God, and by him all things were created, and all things are created through him, and he is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.